Our second reading is going to be a multi-voice reading. And as the reading begins, you will see some pictures of the shore of Galilee that Ryan took when he was in Israel back in 2015. So a few pictures from the shores of Galilee and also a picture from the sea looking back at the shoreline just to get us a little more in the mood as we read this story today. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? No. Cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. The disciple whom Peter, Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord! When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. Jesus said to Peter a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. 
But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. Follow me. This is the story of Jesus, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Anxiety runs high. It's been almost a month since Jesus stood with them alongside Thomas. And there's been rumors and sightings, but Peter's seen and heard nothing for days. I am going fishing. I I appreciate the humanity of his sentiments. Because when things get tense or uncomfortable or frustrating and when you feel like maybe you've contributed to the problem, don't you just want to go to a place of comfort? A place of familiarity, a place where you're good at something? So I ask us, what are you good at? What are you good at? What's that thing that you can do autopilot? Maybe it's writing a paper or a blog post or a poem. Maybe it's hitting a golf ball. Maybe it's drawing or solving an equation, writing a prayer, hammering a nail. Maybe it's painting a room. Maybe you're cool hand, Luke, and you can cut in the edges like a pro. Why don't you turn to someone and tell them what you're really, really, really good at? That thing that people marvel at because you're so good at it. For Peter, it was fishing. Imagine Peter. When you think of him... What kind of guy do you imagine? I imagine this muscular, broad-shouldered, really gut-instinct-following kind of guy who knew how to read the patterns of the waves and the wind and just knew where the fish were. His dad, so proud of him for his prowess and his skills and neighbors marveling at his aptitude and his grit, his determination, Maybe you could hear the conversations. Want to learn how to fish, kid? Go hang out with Peter. He's, yeah, 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 impulsive, a bit brash, but man, can he fish? See if you can get on his crew. And so today, Peter's back in the boat with his crew. It's comforting, it's ritual, prepping the nets, casting them out, hauling them back in. And he can just zone out and do this all night long. And not think about his failure. Not think about his undoing. Um, that, That great run that he had with Jesus where they were ushering in this kingdom of goodness and wholeness and healing. 
Yes, it was an amazing run, but it really fell apart in the end. And now the scenes keep on playing over and over in his head. That crazy night in Gethsemane, when he couldn't stay awake, and three times Jesus had to come and shake him and wake him and plead for his help. Or that unsettling encounter with people in the courtyard. Fire and smoke everywhere. People of all ages interrogating him. He denied Jesus three times. That confrontation in the garden where Jesus rebukes him for pulling out his sword and slaying the ear of the soldier. Everything Jesus urged Peter to do, all the things Peter promised he would do, Jesus called Peter the rock. And yet he felt like he had been crumbling into bits and pieces for weeks now. So down and out, rejected and dejected, Peter runs back to the sea. I am going fishing. He's going to do that thing that he's an expert at. And for eight long, dark hours, they catch nothing. Feels like the universe is conspiring against him. Kick a man down when he's out. The smoke steaming out of Peter's ears, his angry, furrowed brow. Maybe he's raging inside. And so he says, Ah, oh, forget it. That's the PG-13 rating. Forget it. Let's go in. And so they start rowing back towards the shoreline. The light of a new day is dawning, and this shadowy figure from the shoreline shouts out, How you doing, young man? Didn't you catch anything? Why don't all of us shout back what they said? No! Jesus again, I've got an idea. Cast the net to the right side, and you'll find something. My editorial edition would be, Rolling their eyes, they cast their net to the right side. And now they were not able to haul all the fish that they had caught into the boat. 153 fish. Why do you think the story gives us that number, 153? Maybe you've heard theories or stories about that, and there's been lots of ideas and traditions in the Christian story over the year, why 153 mattered. Uh, One of my favorites is 100 for the fullness of the Gentiles, 50 for the remnant of Israel, and three for the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, everybody, 153. So lots of theories, lots of ruminations about why that number is the way it is, but Really, in the end, that's a lot of fish. 153 fish is an abundant amount. And that's what we've been hearing in the Gospel of John for chapter after chapter. Abundance. 
Think back to the wedding feast in Cana, where Jesus provides 200 gallons, 700 liters of wine at a party where they've run out of wine and the cheap wine was supposed to flow and instead the best wine came and it came in gallons and gallons and gallons and gallons gushing forth. Or the feeding of 5,000 people from a kid's meal of five loaves and two fish. Or we read phrases like, if you are thirsty, rivers of living water will flow into your lives. So lots and lots and lots, either caught or poured out or gathered, divvied up, and then in the end with leftovers to spare, baskets full to share. When we go back to the very first words of John's gospel, we read about abundance. This pouring forth of light and life in the midst of the darkness. From Jesus' fullness, we have received grace upon grace. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace upon grace. Last week, we were encouraged to stand with Christ in the midst of our suffering or our weariness or our limitations. And this week, again, we're invited to stand with Christ. But this time in the midst of failures or shortcomings. When we see or sense Christ standing with us, what does he offer? Abundance. Grace upon grace. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Abundance and grace upon grace in the midst of our fretting and our failures. Jesus' fireside conversation with Peter is about abundance. Grace upon grace. No shame, no wagging finger, tisk tisk. no I told you so. Jesus offering abundance. Come and have breakfast with me. And why don't you grab a few from that 153 that are provided for you? Grace upon grace, Jesus leading the conversation, not expecting Peter to grovel or have some neatly confession prayer written up for him, but grace upon grace. Jesus talking about love the love that they share. And yes, Peter feeling a bit hurt after Jesus asks for a third time, do you love me? But Jesus assuring Peter that Jesus' love for Peter has never changed. Jesus has never counted Peter out. Jesus has always had full confidence in Peter. Now at the same time, Jesus says, it's not going to be easy. I'm not always going to be with you, Peter, but I want you to be the one who leads in love and who loves my sheep. Jesus says, feed my lambs, tend to my sheep, feed my sheep. No, it won't be easy, Peter, but I promise you, in me, you have peace. Take courage, Jesus says. 
I have conquered the world. And Jesus' final words in this conversation are offered to Peter and they're offered to us again in this season of Easter. Follow me. Jesus is inviting us to follow me, follow him. And next week is Good Shepherd Sunday in the Christian calendar and we'll reflect more on what it means to follow Jesus and tend Jesus' sheep. But for today, I want us to bask in this love relationship that Jesus offers us. Receive love and grace as abundance. Jesus is not asking us to figure out things. He's not asking us to come up with new plans. Jesus is simply offering us abundance. Breakfast. Put a few more fish on the fire from that net that overflows with 153. Jesus offering us grace upon grace. And so I pray that our response today is like Peter's. Instead of turning back, we press forward into love. And so I want to offer us a silent moment maybe just 20 or 30 seconds, to meditate on Peter's final response. Peter says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And maybe that might be the prayer that we carry into this week, this prayer of love. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Because it's in the light of that love that failure fades away, shame withers, our defense mechanisms falter. So maybe even say it audibly. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And I want to give us 20 or 30 seconds to carry that refrain silently in our heart. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. 20 or 30 seconds to rest and receive and dwell in the love of Jesus. The psalmist helps us press into this prayer and prays, know that the Lord is good. Know that the Lord is God. God made us. We are God's people, the sheep of his pasture. Lord, you know everything. You know that we love you.